Atomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I'm your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello! Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favourite films. Give us a follow on Twitter at Kinotomic, send us an email at kinotomic at gmail.com, and tell us what are your favourite film noirs, or Christmas film, or both. As we are fast approaching the festive season, we've somehow managed to find two films that were both noir, both somewhat Christmassy, and that the other co-host hasn't seen. So without further ado, let's get started. We first have a W.S. Van Dyke film, The Thin Man, a 1934 film, not quite pre-code, not too straight-laced, um, but a second pairing of William Powell with Myrna Loy. The first was Manhattan Melodrama, directed by the same director, which was the um, film that John Dillinger went to see before he got shot, famously. Apparently, Mr. Dillinger was a fan of, of Myrna Lloyd, and I feel bad that he didn't get to see, he didn't get to live to see The Thin Man, which I think was the superior film to Manhattan Melodrama. Here is a quick synopsis. Former detective Nick Charles and his wealthy wife Nora investigate a murder case, mostly for the fun of it. So Nick, what did you think of the film? Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't know that that Dillinger. I knew. I, I know. I knew that he got shot behind the cinema because his girlfriend dobbed him into the feds. But I could never remember the name of the film that he saw. But it's quite interesting that it's these two actors. You know, were in that film. That's quite. No, that's quite. That's quite an interesting anecdote. Um, yeah. No. I, I. This. You know. This. This film is like. It's like a tale of there's murder. There's mystery. There's humor. Mystery, sarcasm, murder, and more mystery. Um, so, if if it weren't for the two leads, Nick and Nora, um, I I don't think I would be giving this the positive review that I'm going to. If that makes any sense. So, like, away from those two, that I find the film to be quite muddled and confusing at times. I found it to be nonsensical and then there was the reveal at the end just didn't really feel satisfying to me and then kind of like there are other films that do take this confusing approach deliberately so thinking like The Big Sleep or um, The Big Lebowski um, you know but whereas in those two films you know I, I find myself kind of pulled in by the world and the surrounding characters um, as well as, you know, the lead performance. In this one, I feel like the film kind of, it, it needed the leads and I'm thankful for it. You know, Nick and Nora. I, I was very, very impressed with, you know, seeing such a natural, kind of quick-witted, warm and convincing couple as these two. You know, I found that they had amazing chemistry, you know, such a natural ability to play off of each other. And I, you know, I could quite as easy watch another film with these two, you know, working together. And you throw in another dog, and you throw in a dog, and and then, sir, you know, you, sir, in the words of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained, you now have my attention. <laughs> um, so, usually with kind of married couples in films, or even just couples in films, you know, there's, you know, there's fight, there's conflict, and there's disagreement, and 
There's like almost like maybe a sourness to it underneath or resentment. Here there's none of that. You know, the dialogue is playful, it's loving, you know, it's not it's not condescending or cruel in any in any shape of the form. And it was it was a very, very it was very, very nice to see. You know, with the film like I said, I kinda of, I kinda of am thankful that these two were kind of to be able to let loose and be free, as though you know, like the film, the the director was more interested in watching those two kind of do their thing than the actual oh. mystery that was going on. Um, I, you know, the central mystery and murder, I just, I wasn't kind of captivating for me. Um, I mean, I, I found, I find the mystery in the Big Lebowski, you know, about whether he's going to get his rug more compelling than this um you know i i felt like i said i i felt as though the the director was kind of seemingly more interested in what was going on with his two leads and what, what was going on with the rest of the story i did i did enjoy how um how there was a grand reveal at the end of the dinner whilst i wasn't kind of overly satisfied with the actual end result at the end of it like i was kind of happy with the you know what there was there you know it was kind of a nice kind of way to pull together all these narrative shreds to tie things up but then i think is it really needed this you know kind of grand tying up scene at the end i don't i don't know it just there was just something about it um and then as as i was kind of having these thoughts I then remembered at the start of the film it said that this was adapted from a Dashiell Hammett story. And then I remembered that the Maltese Falcon, when I first saw that, uh, whatever age I was, which is, you know, is one of his stories, I I had the very same issues with that um, when I first saw that, where I, I, you know, I I thought the the central performance by Bogart was utterly amazing, but kind of the mystery I, I i was lost and so maybe but but then with that you know repeated viewings kind of solve that and it's i now see it as one of the greatest films ever made um maybe this is what i have to do with the thin man um yeah. and to be honest like if it means i get to go back and see nick and nora again i i don't need i'm not actually upset about <laughs> that proposition so so yeah yeah. Um, is that is that all you had? Um, yeah, yeah. Words? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of it. Cool. Like... I was just about to say that um, you're in luck because I think there's about six other, uh, nine other films. Of what? Thin Man. This is this is a series. Yes, this is the first of a series of Thin Man series. How does that work? Because the Thin Man was. What's his face that was dead? Yeah, well, don't. It doesn't really work, and doesn't. I mean, I don't think I've seen. I don't <laughs> think I've seen any of the other films. And Myrna Law herself said that they weren't very good. But you get to see these two play off against each other, so that's kind of the film. That's what you need to know about it. You don't really need to, you know, have a plot. Just have those two banter and just that's it you know just stick a label on it and just sell it and people will pay to see it you know um yeah it makes sense and yeah 
Michael, uh, Michael, um, William Powell and Monalo did 14 films together. And this was the second. And I've seen, I've seen Manhattan Melodrama and I've seen um, Evident Prentice, which I thoroughly recommend. It's probably my second favourite next to Thin Man. Manhattan Melodrama is okay, but it's not as good as The Thin Man. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I just had a few um, notes on Manaloy and William Powell, especially Manaloy, whom I'm a big fan of. MGM had concerns that William Powell is a bit too old and straight-laced to play Nick Charles, and Manaloy had become typecast as um, playing exotic femme fatale roles. Um, but somehow, like you said, you, it worked. They had really good chemistry. As you probably know, um, I probably talked about this before, all the big studios had their types, like the hero, the gangster, the blonde, blonde bombshell, the vamp. Merlin was the exotic beauty often cast as the vamp um, under the Warner Brothers lot. She... With this film, more or less, she had a makeover. So when she changed studios from Warner Brothers to MGM, and on on this sort of makeover, on this career change, she said, "I finally got fired because they ran out of hussies to play." So thankfully, um, they uh, the new studio MGM gave her different parts, and now she had a bit of a re revival of her career and I really like her Nora. Um, Myrna Loy was not only extremely talented, although she was famously never nominated for an Oscar and I think it was quite a shame, but she was also kind and compassionate and very hard-working. I found that she was among the first actress, if not the first, to be a UN ambassador. She was also one of the first to speak publicly about racial discriminations in Hollywood. I found an interesting quote from her, quote, Why does every black person in the movies have to play a servant? How about a black person walking up the steps of a courthouse carrying a briefcase? End quote. Um, she, I think she ventured into politics in, in later life, but we'll talk a bit more about that when we talk about the best years of our lives, which I can't wait to talk about uh, when we get to that. William Powell spoke of how much he loved working with Myrna Loy because of her naturalness, her professionalism and her lack of any kind of diva temperament. And is a cute quote. When we did a scene together, we forgot about technique, camera angles and microphones. We weren't acting, we were just two people in perfect harmony. Myrna, unlike some actresses who think of themselves, has the happy faculty of being able to listen while the other fellow says his lines. She has the give and take of acting that brings out the best. And of him, she said, he was a brilliant actor, a delightful companion, a great friend, and above all, a true gentleman. William Powell had that marvellous subtlety that was so compatible with my style of acting. He was a very witty man, a great wit, and knew how to use it. So, yeah, I think they, they really played really well off against each other. Um, I found an interesting um, fact about the production. For William Powell's first scene at the bar, the director told him to take the cocktail shaker, go to the bar and just walk through the scene while the crew checked lights and sound. 
So Paul went and did it and throwing some lines and some improv of his own. And he heard Van Dyke say, that's it, print it. The director then decided to shoot the scene without Paul knowing it. So he'd been as relaxed and as natural as he could be. So he used this sort of technique further in the film when just used the easy banter between Roy and Powell between takes and just kind of incorporated it into the film. So he'll often encourage them to, to use improv and off the cuff details. And yeah, I think, I think that worked really, really well. And I think that's why the the film is yeah it, like the story is just a bit all over the place it's it like you said it's a dash your hammer adaptation so you're not i don't think you're meant to understand it or meant to know who the killer was and it, it is a detective story but not quite a detective story um you have the two characters and i think if if you had more interest and more focus in the story you kind of lose a bit of 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 the banter and of what makes the film so great. So I think, yeah, just rewatch it and focus on how great they say their lines and how, you know, adorable those two are together. But I'm glad that you liked it. I'm glad that you finally watched it. Is, is this your first Murray film? Yeah, it's also my first William Powell film as well. Ah, uh, hmm. Maybe we can get to have my man Godfrey on, on, the, on, the, on the podcast. Okay. Make a note of that. <laughs> I, I I have literally just made the note. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So I think that's me done with um, The Thin Man. It's a Christmas film with lots of drinking, lots of cocktails, lots of hangovers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I got to say, I did enjoy it. I, I don't want to sound as though, you know, my review makes it sound as though I, I, I was sat there and not having a good time with it. I was having a good time with it. I just, you know, the, the story was just all over the place. Yeah, but and, it's not, um, that wasn't the point. Yeah, no, it's, I, should, I probably should have told point, you, like, yeah. don't focus on the lines they say, not on, like, what they do. Yeah, I think, I think, like, I think, uh, you know, just because the way how I kind of watch films, I kind of watch, especially when it's, you know, to do with the mystery, especially... You know, I mentioned the Big Lebowski and, and, and the Maltese Falcon. You know, I want to know the intricacies of the mystery to work out how it all fits together because there's a kind of like a satisfying, you know, there's like a satisfaction to kind of understanding all the pieces kind of click together. Um, so maybe I, I, I think I will have to rewatch this one day just to, just to kind of get the pieces clicking together. <laughs> um but yeah, no, it, it, they, they, Myrna Loy and, and William Powell were, were, were excellent. Um, I want want more of them, please. <laughs> You're in luck. They made 14 films together. So yeah, I'll start with um, Manhattan Melodrama because of all the sort of controversy regarding the film. Okay. And and work your way up. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I look forward to it. Cool. Um. So we go from one noir film, Christmas, all that, to to another, um, which is uh, 2005's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, um, written and directed by Shane Black. Uh, this is yet another screenwriter who, um, this is their first feature film, following on from 
from Dan Gilroy's Not Crawler last, last week. Uh, this film stars Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, and Michelle Monaghan. Um, I got a brief synopsis. Uh, a petty thief posing as an actor is brought to LA for an unlikely audition and finds himself in the middle of a murder investigation along with his high school dream girl and a detective who's been training him for his upcoming role. So Danny is, is made it known that she's a big fan of Robert Danny Jr. So I'm expecting this to, to go <laughs> into that. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll see how, see what happens. Uh, what did you think? Um, so I don't know how or why I hadn't seen this film before. Right, so I fell in love with Robert Downey Jr. when I saw Elton John's video of I Want Love. I'm not a big Elton John fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that song and that performance and, and that video just blew my mind. I just... It... I know, I felt, I kind of knew that it was kind of right be, right after his sort of meltdown in his jail time. So it felt to me that he didn't really act that much in that video. And I think, yeah, I, I've always sort of associated him with this reborn man. And I loved him all the more for it. I think he's, I think he's very sexy and I think he's very talented. And, you know, I think... I think he's probably like a male version of a minor law, more or less, without the drugs part. I mean, he had to go through hell to be as lovable and as kind and funny as she is. Um, but he's all a better man for it. I mean, it's very, it, no, it's very hard to talk about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang without talking about Robert Downey Jr.'s jail time, right? I think, yeah, I think it's the first film he did after his release. From my understanding? Uh, this is the third. I think this is the third film he did. Third. Okay. Yeah. I just... And I think, you know, I in in the performance that I've, I've seen, I think the, the, the jail time and the drugs and kind of like all the demons defined him from that point onwards in terms of his career and all the roles he played, including this one. I've always thought that he was a natural performer and he... But... Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but with this, with this film, I, f I felt like you could see a man has gone through hell and he's managed to survive and he has a different, maybe fresher take on life. And I know p people might have said that he's playing himself, he's obviously been playing himself ever since, but so what? He's just entertaining enough to, to be playing himself for the rest of his career. And I really enjoyed this film. I really did. I liked. I really liked the dynamic between him and Val Kilmer. I thought it was great. It just, yeah, just they they played against each other a bit, like Nora and and Charles and Nick. You know, <laughs> the banter and like this silly lines and the sarcasm. It's just, I really, really liked Harry. Um, I know he's a bit on the slow side sometimes. But it's kind of a stupid I could get on board with. I would love to teach him some grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the film is very playful. It's funny. It's sad. I really liked the pacing and the sort of talking to the camera narration was lovely. I really liked that. I think, yeah. Of all the films that you've made me watch on the podcast, and I think this is like the 35th 
30, yeah, 34, I think. This is episode 34, so... This is probably my favourite. I usually appreciate Ooh. the films they give me um, to watch, the cinematography, direction, but I'm not in a rush to revisit them. With this, I can probably watch it again tomorrow. I could talk some more about how adorable Robert Downey Jr. is and how much I like his performance and I just want to give him a hug. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, get in into that much more detail but any movie where Robert Downey Jr. says I don't want younger and better I want you has my vote <laughs> <laughs> yeah I really enjoy it thank you oh you're very 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 welcome um what's uh out of curiosity what's your if what's your favorite line or have you got a favorite line that's one that's sticking in your mind at the moment um I don't know. I think I like. I mean, there was there were so many funny lines. I, I think I was like, oh, I'm. I was like, I'm gay, and he's from New York, so you're in big trouble. I thought that was really really funny. Or when he's like, who who the hell taught you grammar? Get out of my car. Vanish. I thought that was really funny. I I think my I think mine is um. It just cracks me up every time. Is when uh, Valkum is getting in his car at the end of the party, and he's saying, "I got, I got two, two, uh, two cents." Says uh, Harmony in the Domino Room, and he's like, "And he's like, sorry, what?" And he's like, "I'm talking money." And he's like, "Talking monkey? Yeah, talking monkey. Ugly sucker <laughs> from the future can only say the word fuckers." Yeah. <laughs> like it's so random. Yeah, very random. But I was it's, like, what, it's what so are you talking about. <laughs> But what it what that line does is it's so kind of show that it shows that however much Harry can kind of come up with all this bullshit, Gay Perry can do can do it, but so much better and so yeah. much quicker than he can. Um, and then obviously you get that fantastic uh, exchange on the side of the lake, um, where he's like, "You look in the look in the in the dictionary, you find the word idiot. Do you know what you'll find?" And he says, a "Picture of me." No, the definition of the word idiot, which, which is you fucking which are. You are. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, th- I this this film is. I, I think this is only a film that Shane Black could write. Um. And you're you're from what I can gather from previous conversations, you're a big fan of Long Kiss Goodnight. I am. Yes. Yeah. I know he wrote um, that, did he? Yes, he did. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of history on Shane Black because it's really kind of interesting. Um, he obviously was in Predator. Um, he did some kind of uncredited rewrites for Predator and The Hunt for Red October, which is name-dropped in this film, which is quite cool. Um, so, yeah, he... he uh, He came out of UCLA uh, and he got a quarter of a million dollars for the the script for Lethal Weapon, which is an insane amount of money back then. Um, but it gets even more insane because after uh, dropping out of production for Lethal Weapon 2, which was meant to end with uh, Mel Gibson's rigs dying at the end, um, he kind of went away. And then he came back with uh, a film called The Last Boy Scout, which ended up being directed by Tony Scott. That script that he sold for that got $1.75 million. And then uh, New Line Cinema, for the script for The Long Kiss Goodnight, they paid $4 million for The Long Kiss Goodnight, um, which is still a record 
to this day about the highest amount of money being paid for a spec script. Um, it's, and it's insane. Because don't really get paid that much. No, they don't. I've, no, I was, they don't. Because I'm doing a, a course on script writing now, and they were like, well, they don't get paid. They very, very rarely get paid more than what you think. Yeah. It's the director that yeah. gets the, the money. Yeah. I, I think Shane, Shane Black is like, I think possibly along with, you know, William Goldman, um, who else? Like some of the, I, I can't think off the top of my head now, like some of the other famous uh, screenwriters from like the 70s. Like I don't Robert think Town. anybody else. Robert Town. Yeah. I, I like, I think he is one of those kind yeah. of superstar Screen like writing. screenwriter names yeah like he's he's the name as it were um so yeah like after after long kiss goodnight which actually bombed in in this it didn't do very well i don't know um, why I, I love that film so much yeah i love it as well it's, it's i, I it's, really it's, like it because i really like i kind of recognize the style of banter in 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 this in kiss kiss bang bang where you kind of see the same kind of banter with um gina davis's character and, and samuel jackson yeah, you see it in all of his. I think you see it in all of his films. Long Kiss Goodnight, not Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, the Last Boy Scout. Oh yeah. Um, oh, and I remember. And obviously, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, because the only thing I remember from the Last Boy Scout, which I saw a very, very long time ago, was that was it one of the Wayne brothers in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. It was, no, it was it was the dad. I think. If the I dad. Right. Is it the dad? I can't remember. And he's singing Wonder in the brother. shower, and he's singing in the shower, and Bruce Willis sort of st- starts to yell at him, and he's like, "Oh, you know, you're always going to be my bodyguard." Oh yeah, he sings um, Dolly Parton song, "I Will Always Love You," mm. and and then yeah, Bruce Willis because he's 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 guarding him for some reason he's a yeah, he's witness a, um, or something <coughs> yeah he's a football player yes american football yes. player yes and he yeah. they they go somewhere and that, that's kind of the only thing i remember um and he's like yeah, you know you're, you're always gonna be my bodyguard so i thought that was really funny and yeah it, you kind of see his style he's a very good screenwriter worth them deserves all the money yeah i mean he was also uh accredited screenwriter for uh, the Last Action Hero, um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, which there is an amazing article on the breakdown of the history of that film, um, which I'm going to link to in the show notes that Empire did about how that film started off as like this one thing, and then it it, it didn't become the film that it should have been because it's you know it's got a Shane Black script, it's John McTernan the director, so that's the guy that did Predator. The Hunt for Red October, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1993. The, you know, it should have been the biggest film of all time, but then um, it, it didn't do very well because it it kind of opened. I think it, I think it opened the same week as Jurassic Park. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <Big> so <laughs> yeah, no, it yeah it opened at number two at the weekend box office behind Jurassic Park um yeah it didn't did not do very well uh yeah so um yeah anyway uh back to back to long uh kiss kiss bang bang um uh robert downey jr i think this is one of his best roles 
agree. I think. I agree. He was just so natural um, and loving. Loved it. I think he's yeah, he's really I think he's really, really able to really kind of convey Shane Black's dialogue really quite well. It's like a very, very good marrying between right screenwriter and actor. Um I'm trying to think of another example like I was gonna say like the the Cohen brothers and John Goodman, like mm. they get you know what I mean, like screenwriter and actor kind of they get the they get they get it, you know? John Tutor um, with the Cohen brothers also. Yeah, John Tutor. Pretty much any of the Cohen brothers regular Regular cast <laughs> members, yeah. <laughs> regular cast members. Um while while Danny Jr. was doing promotion for uh Doolittle, because um, that was a film. Oh uh, he's <laughs> he said that um he said that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang I think in some ways is the best film I have ever done. It wound up being a calling card. It came out and it bombed. But John Favreau saw it and he said, This guy can do an action movie and so that wound up being my calling card into the Marvel universe. Oh. Um so yeah, I mean with no Harry Lockhart, we could have ended up with a totally different actor as Tony Stark. He is um, and then we would have ended up with a whole different history of the MCU and their modern blockbusters. Yeah. Because I refuse Tony to accept that. Tony Stark is Robert Downey Jr. Um, so yeah. Uh, I think Val Kilmer is excellent. Um, he really looks like he's having a ball in a comedic yeah. role. You don't really he see goes... Val Kilmer as in, in comedic roles that Well, much. he started off in two comedies. His Did first he? two films... Well, yeah, his first two films was a film called Top Secret and uh, Real Genius. Top Secret is excellent, by the way, his first feature film. It's a really, really fantastic underrated comedy, very much in the same vein as uh, Airplane or Hot Shots. Hmm. Um, I think it's done by the Zucker Brothers as well. But instead of being a spoof on disaster movies, which is what Airplane is, Top Secret is a spoof of World War Two movies. Oh, right. Um, and I really, really recommend it. Um... So Val Kilmer, like, his way of acting is really, really interesting. Um, so he fell out with Marlon Brando on the set of Island of Dr. Moreau. He's seen as, um, I wouldn't say difficult to work with, but he very much, like, gets very, very, like, in in his role. Um, so much so that I got a quote here from Michael, uh, Michael Bean, who uh, co-starred with him on Tombstone. Um, he said... People ask me what it's like to work with Val Kilmer. I don't know. Never met him. Never shook his hand. I know Doc Holliday, but I don't know Val Kilmer. Um, so that goes to show the kind of person Val Kilmer is on set. Um, there's that. Um, there's that really cool story. How in um, uh, Michael Mann's Heat, um, after the bank shootout sequence, the and the bank shootout, the way Val Kilmer loads his gun. You know, you know, he shoots the he shoots he shoots the rifle, and then he unloads the the magazine, and he puts a new one in, and then changing positions. That apparently is shown in, um, I think it's like police force videos or something. Some somewhere in America is shown that, and then yeah, and then they turn around. I've read that. Yeah. Yeah, and he says, "None of you will be able to do what this guy does," and that's a that's a really insane story. Wow. Um, but yeah, I love it. Um. So yeah, the the each of the chapters. I don't know if you kind of noticed this, but each of the chapters is named after a Raymond Chandler story. Yes, I did notice. You that. did notice. You did notice that. 
cool. <laughs> um, I haven't read all uh, of them, but I did recognize the titles. You really liked the look of the film, didn't you? I do. I do. Yeah, I, yeah, I really so... enjoy the, the look of the film and I enjoy the, like, all of it. Um, and I probably yeah. should watch it again because I might have stared at Robbie Downey Jr. too long and missed some details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I was, yeah. I was, I mean, it, you know, it, admiring the light, the lighting, and the cinematography. <laughs> it's very much. Um, he apparently showed um a lot of films from the nineteen sixties in the genre, um, such as Harper and uh, Point Blank. Um, I don't know if you've seen Point Blank, no, starring Lee Marvin. I've not. Oh, that's so good. We've got to get that on the podcast. Um, but he showed that to his cinematographer, Michael Barrett, and kind of got this the way the look of LA is. And we sp- I spoke last week of how Nightcrawler has this very distinctive look of LA. And I think this film does it as well. It's the same damn city, but it looks totally different. It does and look it different. Looks, it has a difference. It looks... Yeah. It does. It looks like one of those pulpy noir stories, doesn't it? Mm. Like, straight out of a Johnny Gossamer novel. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Uh. So he originally wanted to. Um. He was kind of like. It wasn't working after Longest Goodnight. Um. It was like nine years between, about eleven years actually between this film and 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 Long Kiss Goodnight, and um. He his friend uh James L. Brooks came up to him and asked him. And basically said, oh, imagine if Jack Nicholson from As Good As It Gets played Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. And it kind of like set off this <laughs> idea in his head. Um, and he kind of came up with this story uh, set in a murder mystery around a movie shoot in L.A. Um, kind of gave this, you know, formula kind of new twists. There's a really, really good article in, in Variety, which I'm going to link to in the show notes, which kind of goes into like the way he kind of came up with the story. Um, he apparently he wrote this, he wrote the original script um, and he gave it to, he gave it to a young executive who was unaware of Shane Black's past successes and told the writer that he had potential. Wow. <laughs> um, so that's quite funny. That's like that. Um, I don't know how true this was, but apparently um, Annie Lennox sent um, some, I don't know, demo, not demo, something she was working on to some record labor and some intern replied and said, oh, you've really got potential to Annie Lennox <laughs> in, in like 20, 2018 or something. And you're like, dude, where have you been? Where have you been? Yeah, that's, that's pretty insane. Um, I think, um, I think Shea Black's been kind of on this really, really good run uh, recently bar the exception of his most recent film. So he followed up this with uh, The Nice Guys, which we will be talking about um, at some point. Uh, that film starring Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. And, and then he, he also was also did um, Marvel's Iron Man 3. Um, so Robert Downey Jr. kind of paid him back hmm. with a Marvel gig. Uh, which is kind of kind of nice, and if when you watch Iron Man three, was you can where, see it's a Shane Black. Was that where where um you have uh what's her name? Potts. Pepper. Uh, Pepper Potts. Yeah. yeah. Where she has the costume on, the suit. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, it's the one with Guy Pearce. Okay, I need to rewatch some because I saw them. And Ben Kingsley as well. Oh, where? Okay, I think yeah, I remember. So where Ben Kingsley is like he's like the Mandarin, oh, and then he but turns out to really be some. Mandarin. No, he's some actor from <laughs> Troy, uh, Trevor Slattery from, from that, Croydon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that, that script is actually, was actually, the story was originally by uh, Drew Goddard, um, who people might know as the guy that wrote uh, Cloverfield. Um, he did, he was also the writer, uh, the writer director on um, Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, um, I really his... like that film. I really like that film. <laughs> Everyone sort um, of, you know, planned it, but I really liked it. It came out and then just nobody talked about it. I know, but it was just so interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, really you good. have John Hamm and Chris Chris Hemsworth in the same film. Yeah, yeah. What's, what? What? Uh, and Dakota Johnson. What else? What isn't there to love? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and Drew Goddard kind of got his start on uh, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, which is you know the greatest TV series ever made. No, that's madness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, agree to disagree. Um, so, with Shane Black's films, Christmas is a, a a constant theme. Even the ones he doesn't direct, you know, there's always some semblance of Christmas there. Um, and he kind of, he, he was asked, uh, he was asked why, what is it? Why, why do you always have Christmas in your films? So I have a quote here that from, from him, from, uh, Entertainment Weekly. Um, I'm just going to give like an, a, an excerpt from it. So he says, Christmas represents a little stutter in the March of days, a hush in which we have a chance to assess and retrospect our lives. I tend to think that it also just informs as a backdrop. The first time I noticed it was The Three Days of Condor, the Sidney Pollock film, where Christmas in the background adds this really odd, chilling counterpoint to the espionage plot. I also think that Christmas is just a thing of beauty, especially as it applies to places like LA, where it's not so obvious you have to dig for it, like little nuggets. So I think that's, I, I think that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like an interesting point. It uses it as this interesting backdrop because it, it, it supplies a different undercurrent to the film um i don't know have you seen three days of the condor no um that has an amazing amazing chilling performance from max von sidow sidow um he is excellent in it and he's, he's uh, that film kind of most of the things he's done yes but he's like really scary in that in three days mm. um i think i am thinking of the right film I I'm getting I think I might be getting that one mixed up with um the Parallax View, which came out at the same time. Um but Three Days of the Condor, um yeah. Now yeah, I was right. Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway. Um are in that I'm not film. I'm a big fan of Faye Dunaway. Are you a fan of Robert Redford? I am. Okay. We may we may do that one day then. Um so yeah. Uh, he also did a, a breakdown about how he kind of approaches action cinema um, which I'm going to link to in the show notes from The Guardian uh, which is quite an interesting read um, so yeah this is this is Shane Black's film through and through and um, I'm really happy that you enjoyed it I really did I really did 
Um, I've also been I've waiting been waiting for ages for this to come up so I can send you gifts now of random pieces from the film. Um, because it just has so many little lines which just make me laugh. Eight eight percent. Who taught you math? Um, that's such a great one. Yeah, but you know, Thin Man also has very 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 many great lines. I I gotta say I did enjoy the I really enjoyed the first party sequence where all the people were coming in and he was locking them in different <laughs> doors and stuff. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I really liked that when uh, when she comes to the restaurant. It's like how many martinis have you had? This will be number six. So I'll, I want them all five lined up here. And then she wakes up the next morning. And like, what hit me? I think it was a six martini. And then she's trying to get up from the bed. It's like, hey, what's the idea of pushing me? And he's just so far away. He's not pushing her at all. That was excellent. Yeah. Excellent. What hit me? It was a six martini. I think it's really cool that there are like like films like this exist where there are two actors just playing off each other. Yeah. And they just let them go for it. Um, you know, like there's something about Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer going going at it is just makes it just makes me happy. And, you know, there's something about Mona Loy and William Powell which clearly oh. make you happy as well. Oh. They just yeah, they're the best people. <laughs> they just they just had such good chemistry. I love that when uh, when he goes to investigate um, in in the shop where he actually eventually finds the the dead body, he goes. She's like, "Oh, Nikki, be careful! Oh, I do think the little lady cares. I don't care. I'm just used to you. That's all." <laughs> but yeah, and he, oh, she gets she gets in the taxi and he sends her to like a really random place. Uh, just made me laugh. Yeah. Instead of sending her home, he sends her to a really random place. And that just <laughs> that, that just made me laugh. Um, yeah, no, I it, it was, I think this was a really really good pairing. Yeah, I, I agree, and um, I'm looking forward to um, you watching more Manolo films and telling me all about it. I think she's she's really good, and maybe we can get to talk about um, William Powell and my man Godfrey, which I think is. Probably his best role. Okay, bring it on, bring it on. Yeah. Um, I know, I know. We've we have got, um, we have got uh, the nice guys lined up, um, Excellent. at some point. Um, so yeah, Speaking I know we said about how the bad times, bad times of the El Royale, where that kind of came out and then nobody, nobody saw it. Uh, same with the nice guys as well, like and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like yeah. it came out and then just. Yeah. Nobody saw it. Mm. Yeah, speaking of which, what have we got on for next week? So next week, um, it, uh, unfortunately, um, Noir Vember is now at an end. <gasps> what? Um, well, it's, and it's not November next week, is it? It's December. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, what are we going to do? We're going to do um, Christmas movies. So, well, yeah. We're not doing a Christmas season. We do, are doing. We have got a Christmas episode lined up, but we're not doing a, a, a Christmas season purely because me and Danny have seen a lot of Christmas movies between us, and there isn't much overlap in terms of stuff that we have seen and stuff that we haven't seen. Um. So, and plus, Danny refuses to watch Gremlins. Yes, um, I will not watch Gremlins. Get over so, it. So. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. We do have a Christmas episode lined up, but in the meantime, we are doing a thing called what we're calling Director December. Oh, yeah. Where we are filling in the gaps um, of... So the, 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 the theme is it's the work from the directors or that we haven't seen before that we can talk about, um, if that makes any sense. So we're kicking off this three-episode run with the Cohen Brothers, where we are talking about uh, The Man Who Wasn't There from 2001, starring Billy Bob Thornton and Francis McDormand. Um, it's a Cohen Brothers film I haven't seen, but Danny has. I love Billy and Bob then, we are pairing that with Inside Llewellyn Davis from 2013, uh, starring Oscar Isaac and Kerry Mulligan, uh, which is the Coen Brothers film that Danny hasn't seen. And do I get, do I, is, is Adam Driver in it as well? He is, yes. <laughs> I love Adam Driver. He gets to sing as well. Oh my God, he broke my heart when he, was, when he sang on, on In Marriage Story. I've not seen a marriage story. Well, so. there's a singing in marriage story, and he breaks he breaks my heart. Okay. And don't watch marriage story because you will cry. Okay. Um. You will definitely okay. cry. Okay. <laughs> that's. I think that's what that's what kind of everybody's been telling me about that film is like it's kind of it's really heartbreaking. It so. is. It is very very heartbreaking. So yeah, before you watch it, um, don't watch it. Okay. So join us for next week, um, where, like I said, we're, we're, we're starting off our, our director December with A Man Who Wasn't There and Inside Llewellyn Davis. And we will try um, not to talk about The Big Lebowski. Yes, we've got to try really hard. <laughs> I mean, so, how, how, how much can we talk about the, Bro- the Coen Brothers without talking about The Big Lebowski or No Country and for the, Men? And No Country for Men <laughs> and Barton Fink and Raising Arizona. Okay, fine. Uh, Let's just get it out of the way now. <laughs> So we we, we don't got, have we to got talk a really really hard week. really really difficult yeah um Ballad of Buster Scruggs which I loved um yeah no it's 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 going to be a good one next week so join in for that so um Danny uh in the meantime where can we find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Kina Joan and my website is kinajoan.co.uk and you can find me on Twitter at Nick S Chandler my website is superatomavision.com um i still haven't got around to doing that nightcrawler article but i have a week i do have some time off so i can get around to doing it i wrote my um, article on on elevator to the gallows yeah i know i know i saw it and i read it and i thought that's really good i really should do mine and then just didn't do it <laughs> um i do i do have um an article on jaws um that, that i'm kind of preparing so sorry that sounds very interesting i would love to read that yeah, so keep an eye out for that, everybody. That'll be I'll post up on my Twitter and on my website, obviously as well. Like Danny said earlier, follow us on Twitter at Kinotomic, and our email is kinotomic at gmail dot com. Drop us an email. Um, let us know how you found Noir Vember, if there are any uh, gems that you uncovered, or anything that you've revisited and you think that was really really good. I need to rewatch that. So with all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me.